0: So we're in our first message of our Transform series, and our theme for this whole seven weeks is going to be Romans 12.2 at least the first part of it, which says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The key to transformation starts not um, in your actions, not in in your behavior, not in your body, not even in your will. The key to transformation starts in your mind. It's your thoughts. If you can change the way you think about something, you can change the way you feel. If you change the way you feel, then it'll change your actions. We're going to look at seven major areas of your life. We're going to ask the question, how can I change my thoughts about this area of my life so that I feel differently, if I feel differently, I'll act differently, I'll respond differently, and that's transformation. So we're going to start today with a little bit of truth telling. The further away you are from God, the more trouble you're going to have in your life. The more trials, the more difficulties, the more stress, the more things that are going to go wrong because you're not cooperating with your creator. You're not following God's plan for your life, and the Bible says that the way of the wicked is rough, it's rocky, it's dangerous. You have a right to choose that path, the way of the wicked, but you don't have a right to complain uh, to God because you chose the path that's the unrighteous path. Now, the opposite side of that is the closer I get to God, the more I am transformed. Now, it doesn't mean you don't have problems. In fact, you're going to have a new set of problems when you follow Jesus. But what it means is you have a new power. The same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is available only to followers of Jesus, not to the unrighteous. So... Throughout the Bible, God is a transforming God. He transforms everyone from, from the first page to the last page. Um, for example, when, when Paul, when the apostle Paul finally met Christ, he was named Saul, God changed his name to Paul. But when he finally met Christ, he was so transformed, he changed from a religious terrorist, chose those words specifically. He was a religious terrorist into the prophet Of love. He wrote the most incredible poem on love ever written in the history of the world. It's 1 Corinthians 13. We call it the love chapter in the First Corinthians in that letter, because love is patient, love is kind, love does not um, keep a record of wrongs. From a religious terrorist to a prophet of love, that's transformation. Isaiah, one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament, he was a prophet. Isaiah was depressed. In, in, in chapter 6, it says, In the year that King Uzziah, very popular king, a king who followed God, in the king that Uzziah died, he said, I went to the temple. He was depressed when he saw God seat, seated on his throne. One of my favorite scenes in the Bible is when he said, I went to the temple and all of a sudden the glory of the Lord filled the temple and I saw the Lord high and lifted up. And there were cherubim, there were seraphim, they were flying around, they were crying out, holy, holy, holy. And, and Isaiah says, oh, I am undone. I love it. He says, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips. God sends a, a coal from the fire and cleanses him and transforms him. And he says, who will I send? And, and Isaiah says, me, me. He goes from being depressed to, I'll go anywhere you tell me, God. Moses, big Mo, the, the, the one who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, he was so transformed, he was so close to God, that it even transformed his physical appearance. And the Bible says that his face glowed because he'd been in the presence of God. People could not even look at him because his physical, transparent, uh, physical appearance was transformed in such a way. So if God is a God of transformation, if every page of the Bible has people being transformed, then why are so many people not transformed in 2015? The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, 6. It says, all of us like sheep have gone astray, gone away. That means we tend to wander. <laughs> we have left God's paths to follow our own. Oh, I completely forgot. We have 12 sheep roaming our land. I came up a week ago Friday, and there were 12 sheep on the front porch over here uh, of the house. And, you know, they're just looking at me. I'm looking at them. I get out of the truck, and they take off. And so three different times, one time they were up here by the the, the uh, air conditioner in the youth area, and then Thursday, I come out, I'm I'm doing all my work, I walk out Thursday, there's 12 sheep right here by this door looking at me. They just walk around, and they eat, and they poop, and you know, they wander, they belong to somebody. They didn't just spontaneously combust out here on our land, they belong to somebody, they wander, and God says, you and I are like sheep. And sheep aren't real smart. Sheep will walk off a cliff because they're just not very bright. Sheep will wander into a den of of wolves or lions because they're just not very smart. They wander. And God says, you're like sheep. So look at somebody and say, God says you're a sheep. Isn't that awesome? He says that because you and I don't tend to stay close to God. We tend to wander away from God. And this is this is so important because if you're not transformed in your spiritual life, which is the very first one, if you're not close to God, you will not be transformed in the other six areas. Not going to happen. You will not have the power of God to transform your life in those areas until you are close to God. So if we all tend to wander, the question is, how do I get back to God? That's where we're going today in this whole series. How do you get back to God? And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're a first-timer. You've never... Um, known god before or if you're 30 years you've wandered away from god from 30 years and, and The pathway back to god is the same regardless So that's what we're going to call this the pathway back to god And and fortunately we have a story in the bible that tells us how we can get back to god And it's a very popular story you've heard it. it's called the story of the prodigal son It really ought to be called the story of the loving father because it's much more about the father than it is about the son So let's get going uh, This is in luke Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate but now before you die. How would that go over if you went and said that to your dad? <laughs> Whatever. Scratch your name out of the will." So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, the younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. Who chose to move, the son or the father? Thank you. And there, there he wasted all his money in wild living. Have you ever been given a gift that you did not deserve whether it's an inheritance or some gift, some lavish gift that you wasted. Okay, three of us. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and, and he began to starve. So it went from bad to worse. He wasted everything, and now it's gone from bad to worse. The economy is, is bad. The national economy, economy is bad. He's broke. He's homeless. Everybody's broke. So it went from bad to worse. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. It gets worser. I know that's not a word. You, you, the English police will be writing things on the back of their cards. That happens. The, the, the Scripture police. It, 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 I, I got all kinds of police. It gets worser. I just want to get your attention. It goes from bad to worse. It's worse now because for a Jewish kid... The absolute worst job is slopping pigs because you're not even supposed to touch them. It's it's beneath you. It is They are unclean animals. And so if you get the worst job on the planet and then you start, you're so hungry that the food you're giving to an animal you're not supposed to touch looks good to you, maybe you're at the bottom. Because, and and see, I say maybe because I don't know, because we deal with people, and I've dealt with people for years, that you think they're at the bottom, and you're like, man, they can't go any lower, and then they do. They can't go back to drugs. They can't go back to this, and and then they do. So I don't know where your bottom is, but you've got to get to the bottom before you're transformed, and then here's, here's his bottom. Look, this is how we know. When he finally came to his senses, that's how we'll know when you're at the bottom, when you finally come to your senses. We'll talk more about that in a second. He said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have enough food to spare. And here I'm dying of hunger. He's going, dude, the poorest guys in my dad's job live better than me. So it's better to be a poor guy there than a poor guy here. I'll go home and I'll ask for the poor guy's job. He knows he doesn't deserve anything better because it was a slap in the face. When he said, Dad, I want my inheritance for you, die, he might as well slapped him in the face, spit on him, thrown dirt on him in front of everyone because everyone would know, and you did not do that in Jewish society. So he, does, he doesn't deserve to be a part of the family. He's hoping Dad will give him a little bit of grace and allow him to be a hired servant. So he makes a plan. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, this is awesome, before you ever get home. Still a long way off. The father is looking for you. His father saw him come and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. He doesn't even get out the second half of his plan. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. I love that translation, New Living Translation. So the party began. Great story. Many of you have heard it, but, but let's look. We're going to look at it a little bit differently today. The kid starts off saying, Dad, give me what's mine. Give me mine. Give me mine. That's a very self-centered attitude, and it's where most of us start in life. What does a kid learn first if, after mom and dad? It's no and mine, right? We act just the same way when we become a Christ follower. Give me mine, God. And by the way, I'm in a hurry. Not only do I want that, I want it now. And if you don't give it to me now, I'm walking away. I'll hold my breath, God. I mean, really, we might as well say that to God. Because we're acting like infants. I'm in a hurry. See, I don't know where you are today. You may be way, way far from God. And this may be the first time you've ever come to new life. You may be just a little bit distant from God in the last week because God's piled some, or the, the world has piled some stuff on you that you just didn't expect and you couldn't handle it. I don't know where you are, but the pathway back to God is the same. If you don't feel close to God, the pathway to God is what we're going to talk about next. First thing on the pathway to God is I get fed up with my life, I get fed up. I get fed up with the way I'm living. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm not going to live this way anymore. I'm stressed out, lonely, depressed, overworked, busy. I don't even like myself right now, so how can anyone else like me? I don't like this life I'm living. Nothing is going to happen in your life in the next seven weeks until you get fed up with the way you are. Until you're dissatisfied. If you think I'm fine, don't even bother coming back for the next seven weeks because you don't need this series. Nothing's going to happen until you're dissatisfied with the way things are in each of these areas of your life. But if you're tired of being stressed out, if you're tired of being frustrated, if you're tired of feeling distant from God, then you need to be transformed. And that's when things will happen. Nothing begins to happen in your life until you get fed up with the way things are. So I want you to say that out loud. Nothing happens until I get fed up. Say that. Y'all are a good crowd. Say that again. Nothing happens, till I get fed up. Nothing happens till I get fed up. So the young son wasted it all. And when it was gone, he got desperate and hungry. That's when he came to his senses. You get desperate, you come to your senses. That's where transformation starts. And I don't know if you're there yet. I don't know if you've come to your senses yet. And if you haven't, it's okay. God will allow allow rain to come into your life. And if that doesn't get your attention, he'll allow a little more rain to come into your life. And eventually he'll allow a storm to come into your life. Why? Because God loves you right the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. God will not let you waste your life. If you're one of his children, he will not let you waste your life. But there's a promise when you're ready to come to God. There's a promise in Jeremiah 29, 13 that says this. You'll find me when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else. See, God's not going to reveal himself. He's not going to transform himself to people who casually date the bride of Christ. If you come once every six weeks, yay, we're glad you do. Why don't you make it once every three? Maybe that's your spiritual goal. If you read the Bible once every six months, you're not giving God an opportunity. There are lots of other influences in your life that are shaping the way you think, and it's not God because you're not giving God the opportunity. When you read the Bible, it's not about you getting into the Word, it's the Word getting into you. That's why we want to memorize this scripture over these next few weeks. I've got to get fired, I've got to get fed up, and then fired up. I've got to get fed up with the way I'm living, but getting fed up isn't enough. Second thing, I have to own up to my sin. When he came to his senses, he looked at his life and he said, this is dumb. This is ridiculous for me to live like this. So what did he do? He headed home to tell his dad, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against God, and I've sinned against you, dad. He was going to own up to his sin. Nothing happens until you own up. I need to face the fact that I'm not living God's way. I've been doing it my way. And I'm ready to resign God as general manager of the universe. You've got to give up control because control is an illusion. You're not in control do you control when your infant goes to the bathroom? No. One time I was dressed in my suit and tie at a former church and I was holding Rachel when she was two years old and Rachel had diarrhea that flew everywhere right as I'm walking out the door. That's a blessing. I said, thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Being in charge or being in control of your life really means you're doing it your way and not God's way. And that is sin. And so what's the big deal about sin? Well, Isaiah 59.2 tells us, your sins have separated you from your God and have hidden his face from you. The reality, whether you want to admit it or not, is your sins separate you from God. They put distance between you and God. If you've ever prayed and felt like your, your prayers are just kind of hitting the ceilings, if you've ever felt like, I can't feel God, I can't see God, I can't hear God, I do not sense his presence. The problem most of the time is your sin not someone else's. Your sins have separated you from your God and he's hidden his face from you. God didn't move. He didn't go on vacation. He's always there. In fact, God has never not been there. Your sins caused you to move away from your God. And this is how you do it. You move away from God by giving your love to anything other than God. You give your love to something else. When you give everything to something other than God, the Bible has a word for that. It's called an idol idol. An idol is not a little ceramic thing or a wooden thing or, you know, whatever. An idol is anything you put in first place other than God. So an idol can be your car. It can be your job. It can be your clothes. It can be the way you look. It can be the desire to have 800 likes on your 1,000th selfie of the week. How much have you changed in 10 minutes? You know, I, I don't understand. I don't get it. Anything that you love more than God becomes an idol. The first and second of the Ten Commandments say this. The first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. The second one is, you shall not make any false idols. Money can become an idol. Success can be an idol. Golf can be an idol. Those aren't bad things. It's just they were never designed to be in first place in your life. So I own up to my sins. My sins have separated me from God. Your sins have separated you from God. The fact is you are as close to God as you choose to be. Can't blame anyone else. Oh, uh, I blame my husband. I blame my wife. You can't blame your mom, your dad, your brother, the government or other people, or your pastor. Oh, if my pastor w- would just do this, then I would be a fully devoted follower of Christ, whatever. Oh, if we only offered this. Do you know what, what, do you know how to spell? Blame. When you blame people, do you know how to spell it? Here's how you spell it. Be lame. When you're blaming somebody else, you are being lame. Oh, if my husband was the spiritual leader, he would be, then I would be on fire for Jesus. No, you wouldn't be. You'd be yelling at him because he's doing something you don't want him to do. You're not in control. Give me that trash. Oh, if my wife or my girlfriend, if my girlfriend were just, dude, God made you to be a spiritual leader. Get off your butt and be the leader. Grow up and own up to your sin. When King David owned up to his, his adultery with Bathsheba, he wrote this incredible thing in Psalm 51. He said, be merciful to me, O God, because of your constant love. Because of your great mercy, wipe away my sins, not Joe and Sally's sins. And, and Casey said this a couple of weeks ago. He said we need to apologize to all Joe's and Sally's around because we always use them as an example. Not Joe's and Sally's sins, my sin. Wash away all my evil and make me clean. I recognize my faults. I don't recognize Travis's faults. Do you realize how good we are at recognizing someone else's faults? Seeing if Travis was listening. We're really, really good at recognizing someone else's faults and ignoring our own. Something like the log in your eye, and you're trying to take that speck out of somebody else's eye. That's actually a pretty funny story. Think about it. You got a two before in your eye? Here, let me pull this out of your eye. That's pretty dumb. We do it all the time because we don't recognize my faults. And what he says, and I'm conscious that I've sinned against you. Recognize my faults means that I own up. When I own up to sin, this is the cool thing. This is what you don't get very often. When I own up to my sin with God, what's his response? Oh, this is, this is great. Look what he says in Isaiah one eighteen. The Lord says, no matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can remove it. I can make you clean as freshly fallen snow, no matter what you've done. Oh, but I no matter what you've done. Oh, but I did it multiple times. No matter what you've done. This is the stain remover verse in the Bible. God says, no matter what you've done, I can make you look, I can make your, what if you're not a virgin? God can make you a spiritual virgin. What if you've been divorced? God can make your heart pure again so that you can fully give yourself to him and you can fully give yourself to another human being. God can do that. God says, it doesn't matter. What you've done, I can make you like freshly fallen snow. This next week, you're going to study seven habits of spiritual growth, but I'm going to give you two more today. The first one is the habit of a regular spiritual checkup. Doctors tell you that, that you need to be checked up regularly, right? Um, praise God, we ca- you caught. Timmy's cancer early why do you want to catch it early so that you can do something about it You don't want to catch it when it's all throughout your body So they tell you you need to have regular checkups need to have your blood pressure checked Need to need to have your heart checked. I'm at the age now. They tell me I need to have my colon checked. That sounds fun Yeah, anyone want to give a testimony Ms. Yvonne says it is We'll talk about that later after dinner Same is true with your spiritual life. The reason you want to be have a checkup is so that you can catch it early and do something about it because sin is like a cancer in your life. If you let it go too long, your heart becomes hard and you wouldn't know God if he came up and spoke to you face to face. You wouldn't recognize an opportunity because your heart is hard because this cancer has taken over. So you do a regular spiritual checkup. It's a checkup from the neck up. That's free. Here's your goal for the week. You're going to do a checkup today or sometime this week. And then you're going to you're going to do it every six months. You need to do a spiritual checkup. Write down where you are spiritually. Write down what you need to do to get back to God. And then tell somebody. Why is it that when you work out physically, you're more consistent if you have a workout partner? They're like, get up, sucker. It's time to go. You need to tell somebody. You need an, a spiritual accountability partner. What do you need to do to get closer to God? Tonight at five, we're going to do the first session of our um, transform series, a first DVD session for small groups. And then tomorrow you're going to do one devotional a day for 50 days. This week, it's all about your spiritual life. There's a memory verse for each week. And here's this week's memory verses. Second Corinthians 517. Anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone a new life has begun. This is where new life got the name because we want to be all about new life. Went about transformed lives, and by the way, if you get the bookmark, every um, memory verse for each of the seven weeks is on your bookmark that you get with your. If you if you already got your notebook and you didn't get that, grab one of those bookmarks out there on the table. Do you know what it means that that the old is gone, the new has come? It means you do not have to be defined by your past. You don't have to stay the same anymore. Those old impulses, they don't define you. If you struggle with alcohol, you're no longer an alcoholic. You're a Christ follower who still struggles with alcohol, but your identity is in Christ. You're not a a person who who struggles with pornography. You're a Christ follower who has a struggle with pornography. You see the difference? My identity is in Christ. I have a checkered past, but I am not my past. I am my father's son. That's my identity. Yes, I may struggle with a few things, but my identity is in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. So here's your spiritual checkup verse, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. This is the message translation. I love this. Test yourself to make sure you're solid in the faith. Don't drift along taking everything for granted. Give yourself regular checkups. And then look at this. If you fail the test, do something about it. So do a regular spiritual checkup. All right, so here's the first two. I get fed up. I own up. Third, I offer up. I offer myself up. The prodigal got fed up, he came to his senses, he owned up, he said, I've sinned against God, and then he offered up. He leaves home saying, give me, give me, give me, but I don't know if you noticed this, when he comes back, he says to his father, take me. He wants to say, take me as a servant, because I don't deserve to be your son. You see, there's a transformation that happens when you go from, give me, give me, give me, God, to take me and do whatever you want to do with me, God. God. There's a decision that starts this process. It's not quick, it's not easy. It will actually take the rest of your physical life for God to transform you into what he wants you to be. But it's a decision, and the process starts when you start spending more time with God. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says this. We reflect the Lord's glory and are are being transformed. Our being transformed. It doesn't mean it's a one-time deal. It's a lifetime process. We are being transformed into his likeness. So he wants you to bear the family resemblance. He wants you to look like Christ with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. The New Testament was written in Greek, and the word for transformed is metamorpho. What does that sound like? Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. What do we know that's the classic example of metamorphosis? A butterfly. Is is a caterpillar, is it very attractive? No. No. Good. I thought somebody was going to say, yes. I'd say, something messed up with you. The process of transformation, when that caterpillar, which I always stepped on them you know I, when I was a kid, I just smashed them, and mom 's like that 's too soon, I said, but they 're ugly <laughs> there 's a process when when they you know the chrysalis and they form the the cocoon, the cocoon kind of looks like a tomb is a co- when you see a cocoon is is it attractive people don 't usually paint portraits of cocoons, take photographs, win contests with cocoons, right. But when when the transformation process happens, when the metamorphosis happens and the butterfly comes out, it's stunning. You ready for this? God created you to be a butterfly. He didn't create you to be ugly. And I'm not talking about your physical appearance. Sin makes you ugly. Your sins separate you from God. God has this stunning plan for your life, but we're so worried about our sin, we're worried about having fun in the moment instead of this process of being transformed into what God wants us to be. See, if you, if you don't want to be ugly with sin anymore, you got to go through the transformation process, which is I get fed up, I own up, God, I, I've not been living a life, I've been doing things my way, and then I offer myself up. Transformation is, is, is a process, but the starting point is when the prodigal son says, take me. God, I don't want to live my life like this anymore. Now, our theme verse for this whole series is Romans 12, 2, but I'm going to read you Romans 12, 1 right now. Because God is merciful to you, offer yourselves. There it is, offer up. Offer yourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship, and then here's where it comes in, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Nothing happens, no transformation until you offer up. Now, once you've offered up, we talked about this briefly. How did the father respond? Luke 15, 20 says this. Filled with love and compassion, he ran out to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. Bring the best. Bring the best robe. Bring the sandals, the best sandals. Bring the ring. Bring the fattened calf. Notice he didn't wait for the son to come home. He was looking and he ran to meet him. He doesn't wait for you to knock on the door. God's not waiting for you to make this big show that you're coming back. He waits. He's looking for just the slightest indication that you're ready to move towards him. And he runs out and he throws his arms around you and he kisses you and he says, I know you blew it, but that's not who you're going to be because I can change you. I can transform you. And, and the, the signet ring, get the ring. This is big. You know what a signet ring is? It was kind of like their credit card back then because what the son do, he blew half of his inheritance. He blew the, the half of his father's wealth. And the father says, get that ring, because when you when you'd take the ring, you would press it into wax, and that was a seal saying, the father was, was then in charge, the father's account was being charged. And he says, even though you blew it, even though you wasted all of the things I've given you, God doesn't hold you accountable for all the dumb stuff you've done in the past. He gives you a new start. And he says, today can be that new start. He doesn't hold a grudge against you. Now, why would you continue to live the way you are if there's something better? You know, it's like ice cream. I've been suffering without Bluebell. <laughs> Hannah came to me the other day and she knows this is my language. She goes, Daddy. I need a I need an ice cream run and and you know I was kind of down because I knew we didn't have any yet but every time I walk by the aisle at Walmart I look down there and I'm depressed every time I I don't see Blue Bell so I said okay baby when when I want to go to Taco Bell sometimes at ten o'clock eleven o'clock at night I just need a bean burrito and I'll go hey Hannah and she's like I'm there she you know she's my Taco Bell buddy but she knows that I'm her ice cream buddy so we go and we look down there and I'm totally depressed she gets Häagen Dazs which is not ice cream she thinks it's ice cream but it's not really ice cream and I look and I say baby I just can't do it because I've had the real. Deal, so I went and bought a Three Musketeers because Three Musketeers helps me deal with my lack of bluebell. Right now, I did on Friday. I did go to Chick Fil A and I got a Christian uh, strawberry shake. You know, because those Christian shakes they're good. If it was closer, it might help. But you know, why would you settle? I said I can't do it. She laughed at me the whole time. I'm like, that's not ice cream. That's not no. Nope, can't do it. November second, right? November second. That's when it's coming. I am counting the days. If you knew there was a better way to live, why would you continue to live the way you are? There is a better way. It's called being transformed. So how do you get the better life? You get fed up, you own up, you offer up. There's one last thing you do. I lift up my praise. The Father says, we're going to celebrate. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party begins. Life begins, life is a party when you're transformed. Transformed. Psalm 68, 4 says this, Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him, he is the Lord. For your transformation, you need to start singing in church. Many of you are prison singers, you know, you're behind a few bars, and you always have the wrong key, you know. But the Bible doesn't say you have to be good to sing. It says make a joyful noise. Somebody's writing that down. (laughs) Anybody can make a joyful noise. I read about a psychologist who said this, anytime someone comes to him for depression... The first question he asked them is, did you sing all the songs at church last week? And if they say no, he says, I want you to go back to church. I want you to sing the songs for three weeks, and then you're going to come back and we're going to talk about that. He understood what happens in your heart and your soul when you sing with other people. He knew there was a a study done by Swedish researchers that that discovered that the habit of group singing, not singing um, uh, by yourself, group singing does something in your heart and your soul. It's good for you. And in fact, a global study, another study was done that said, if you sing at church every week, you live longer. I want you to live longer. So the band's coming up. We're going to sing a song as we finish up today. I don't care if you like the songs. I don't care if it's your style. I want you to sing. And we're going to go back and we're going to sing that that uh, Thank You, Jesus song. Um, It will lower your blood pressure. It will release endorphins. It will improve your mood. It will build confidence. It will relieve loneliness. It will relieve negative emotions and stress. It kind of sounds like transformation to me, right? So we're going to pray and then we're going to sing. Stand up. God, I thank you for these folks who were willing to do something a little bit different today. Coming early, sacrificing a, a few minutes of sleep so that they could be in here to worship you. And I pray, God, that this is just the beginning. That will have more and more people who will follow after you, regardless of the cost. Change us and transform us. And God, we offer this song to you today as a song of thanksgiving. Amen.
1: Savior you rescued me thank you Jesus
0: Sing it out now. You've given me life. You've opened my eyes. I
1: love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You've entered my heart. You've set me apart. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. You've given me life. I love You, Lord I love You, Lord Thank You, Jesus You set me free Christ my Savior
0: sense the presence of the Holy Spirit here today. Bring somebody with you next week.